My name is Owen Flynn and welcome to episode 59 of the Trail Running Ireland podcast. Hey everybody, what a weekend for Irish mountain and trail running with Zach Hanna coming home in 5th place in the World Championships in Thailand, Ireland's best result at the World Championship level since 1991. We've got Zach live on the line from Thailand telling us about the race and how he managed to peak for the World Championships so late in the season. We've also got Rene Borg from Running Coach Ireland talking to us about VLA Max and VO2, how we can measure them and how we need to get the balance of the two right for our training and racing everybody get your running gear on let's go Hey guys, what a weekend indeed for Irish trail and mountain running with that great performance from Zach and Paddy O'Leary has just come into the finish line area too. Paddy came home in 40th out of 100 competitors. Well done Paddy. Paddy came in in 8 hours 41 minutes where the winner was Adam Peterman from the United States in 7 hours 15. A superb run Paddy, very tough conditions and I hope the body is okay after that massive, massive effort. Sarah McCormick is our final athlete of the elite trio to go in the classic up and down race in the early hours of Sunday morning. Sarah I think has taken the very wise decision as she always does in fairness when it comes to her racing not to double up at these championships like a lot of the competitors are who are going both in the uphill only on Friday and now in the up and down in the early hours of Sunday morning. So Sarah has a great chance of being right up there especially after this super season she has had to date fifth in Sierra de Zinal, second at Smarna Gorda, and a win at Trofeo Vanoni as well. Before we talk to Zach about that magnificent fifth place, and before we dial in Rene for our masterclass on VLA Max, a big thank you as always to our Patreons. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your support of the show. And I hope you're all going to be inspired and motivated by the two chats that we have coming up today. Thanks a million to Peter Kiley, Rachel O'Callaghan, Bernard, Mac Brodig, who signed up to Patreon since our last show went out. And if anybody else would like to support the show, when you're finished your run over the next couple of days, please do pop over to patreon.com, on your laptop, on your mobile phone, wherever you listen to the show, where you can help to keep us going from as little as three euros a month. Okay. Let's keep on going with the show and let's make sure that we get some great coaching and training tips to you, that we get some great interviews to you from the very best of the Irish mountain and trail running community and we make sure that we give you some value for those three euros a month. Let's call in the running coaching guru himself based in the heart of the Wicklow Mountains and as we're about to hear, getting ready training wise for a trip back to his homeland. Rene, good to talk to you as always, mate. I'm sure you were busy with a lot of athletes last weekend in Dublin Marathon, um, but I'm sure likewise looking forward to getting back out to a few hills over the weekend. Yeah, I am. Although, you know, when I'm moving the, much against, you know, my current instincts, I'm moving a little bit onto flatter trails now because as some people listening might know that Ecotrail Wicklow has gotten paired up with a new race, Ecotrail Copenhagen. 
Yes. This is taking place in April, and I'm going to be over as an, you know, if you want an envoy or an emissary, whatever you want to put on it. And um, it's obviously my home country, if not my home region. Uh, so I'll be over there to do some cool stuff uh, with a bunch of the other Irish. Uh, you know, we, we haven't set anything in stone yet, but I think there'll be stuff like, you know, a pub takeover with a presentation of Eco Trail Wicklow and a trail running pub quiz, I think, um, on the Friday evening. And then, of course, Saturday, we'll all be resting our legs and then we'll be running uh, one of the three race distances they have, uh, which is, you know, it's unlike here in Ireland, you know, the highest point in Denmark is 173 meters. So it'll be a very, very different type of trail race. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it'll be lots of tiny undulations that if they have an 80k with um, 1100 meters climb. And wow. I, I'm hoping to do the 45k, which will have 810 meters climb. So it's a lot of tiny ups and downs all the time. You know, it's totally different training to what I've been doing for the World Masters. Um, but I'm actually, I, I look forward to it as anyone, you know, I think anyone likes to run on home turf and I haven't done so for over a decade. Um, but you need to change your training as people listening know so that it fits. So instead of doing all these massive, tough, big hills that you do if you were preparing for CCC, this race, you can go with more sedate trails. So that's that's where I'm moving now, Owen. And um, hopefully some of the people who are listening and who did Eco Trail Wicklow are coming with us because we, we will have a special deal actually for it for people who have attended Eco Trail Wicklow. And okay. so if you are a follower of that website, you know, not to make it a too big a marketing exercise, but then keep an eye on our page and your mailbox over the coming week or so. We'll probably be sending out a discount. Okay, very good. Well, I know uh, lots of Irish football fans have gone to Denmark over the years, not always getting good results, but always having a good time. Anyway, so I'm sure if we went on a on a trail running trip to Denmark, it would be fantastic. And just in terms of the race itself, I that you're going to be running, and it might be a nice segue into our topic today. How many hours do you think it will take you to could do complete your race? I haven't really had time to analyze it in detail, and it's been a while since I did um that distance. You know, the last time I did something anywhere near that was 59 kilometers, but it was much hillier, you know, and that was yeah. a few years ago. I have a rough feeling that if I could get in good shape, um, I should probably be able to run it. Uh, maybe around four, four and a half hours, um, maybe faster. <laughs> it depends yeah, a lot yeah. on how, on how the, the training goes. And just the reason why I ask is because it's not kind of, it's a typical type of um, race distance and time that a lot of our listeners will be planning for, for maybe next summer into the springtime for their big trail and ultra races. And it leads in nicely to the topic that we were going to discuss today. And fair play to you for taking on this topic because it's a tricky one and with some nice finite details to try and overcome to talk about VLA max versus VO2. And then there's also a term that we're going to maybe throw in there as well, max glycolytic rate. Terms that we maybe aren't aware of, although we were probably, you know, working on a lot of those things already, but maybe just not quite knowing that we are working on them and then how to get the balance right between the max glycolytic rate, the VLA max, and then where does VO2 come into that as well? In other words, aerobic versus anaerobic. And this is just maybe a bit more of a scientific way to approach it, Rene. And I know you've been doing lots of testing through inside, through running Coach Ireland over the last couple of weeks as well. So you're, you have your hand very much on the pulse with this at the moment. So so I'll let you take it away, Rene, in this one, because it's a tricky topic, but a very, very interesting one and could be very, very beneficial for those that are planning for big races next year and just how to get the fueling right, how to get the training right. 
Yeah, it's a topic that is basically illuminating why an old observation that why do we sometimes get worse in our races when we train faster? And why do why does performance in races tend to become more erratic the more high intensity training we do? As that's a very, very old observation. You know, it stems back to certainly it's been written down and it's been written about since the 1950s. Um, and it's probably been observed long before that, but it just wasn't committed to text. So and it, because it is a strange thing, right? And it's something we all struggle with in running is that why is it that when I do my, when, once I start putting really hard workouts in, that sometimes I don't actually get better. And then some people made the op opposite observation as well, that they felt that when they just did easy and steady, their performances were more stable and they were more consistent. Mm. So that led to in the 60s, Arthur Lydiard was the first to really see this clearly and, and, and put a system of periodization in place where he said, if we want to avoid this happening, then you have to do certain types of training in a certain order. You know? And that led to the first original Lydiard system, which was lots of steady and long running for a long period of time, four weeks or so where you really did high intensity to increase what he called your anaerobic um, power or your anaerobic capacity. He used different words mm. as, as his own understanding, you know, physiology became more and more refined because when he started and when he wrote his first book in 1956, he doesn't use any physiological terms at all because he didn't know any yet. Mm. And just, yeah. This is what's so interesting. And then he met these East German doctors who, who told him all these things. And he just kind of took that in his head and was like, okay, now these doctors have explained to me why my system works. Sure. Okay. <laughs> well, he, he might have just said hills for power or 5K pace for speed work. And then, you know, mileage for long aerobic development. Yeah, that's pretty much what he did, you know. And he said, once you had then this, the hard work finished, then he would do what he called coordination usually or track work, which because he was working with track runners. That's another kind of thing people need to know when they read these old books is that's what he was working with. You know, he was not working with hill runners or mm. uh, joggers yet. He, he started working with joggers later. Um, but that means when he says track work, what he means there is once you have put all the pieces together, then you start doing the practice for your race you know and that meant that the sessions you see if you read his book they look like the track distances that he was writing schedules for mm. you know whether it was 800 meters or 5,000 meters and so on so where this whole vla max which is a new word for some people um listening to this comes in is that it's the they say it's the anaerobic brother of the vo2 max you know so vo2 max as people listening here probably know is how much oxygen can you utilize okay so that's what you, it's not actually a lot of people think it's how much oxygen can you take into your lungs um but that's not actually what you measure when you look at let's say your garmin watch for instance to see what is my vo2 max and your garmin might say oh it's 56 mm. that is that is based on your performances and that means it's only looking at how much oxygen does it look like the person is using um, because you might be able to actually take in more and that's why your vo2 max can increase you know when you train it's yeah. because you can take in more oxygen but you can't use it because you're not well trained enough to use it so this is the training most of us are most familiar with you know and we know okay so if we do lots of aerobic training you know endurance training long distance and if we do some vo2 work that that's usually what people kind of recognize as the 5k pace work 
so kind of longer intervals, that that can increase this VO2 max in your skull. And that's your what we call aerobic capacity. But there is another energy system, which is the sugar system. And you use the word there, glycolytic. You know, glyco is obviously, you know, from uh, glucose, the sugar molecule. Yeah. So it's how many, how, how much sugar can you turn over? How quickly? Yeah, and essentially how effectively you can use the carbs in your body, Renny, isn't it? it? It's it's partly how effectively, but it's actually more about how much do you, how much does your body want to use it? Because here's a very yeah. interesting, a very, very interesting thing about the human body. It always chooses the path of least resistance. As in, it always jumps over where the fence is lowest, as we say in Denmark. <laughs> you know, yeah, so yeah. The, the body is like that. And it, sugar, sorry, sugar is more easily accessible for your body. And it can be turned into ATP, which is the molecule, you know, that unfolds what's called, it, it basically unfolds proteins in your cells and allows energy in the form of electrons to flow through your system. That's what it does. Mm-hmm. So if your body is like, oh, I can actually get more of this energy that the person is requiring for this activity by burning sugar. And look, it's right here in his bloodstream because he just ate a Snickers bar. Mm-hmm. The body will pick that because it's the easiest source. Whereas fat takes a few more steps and it's slightly slower. But when you take the effort to convert the fat, if you want, into ATP, it releases way more ATP, right? It releases 19 times more ATP. Especially important for our ultra and trail runners and long distance mountain runners, because they can probably survive the majority of a race burning that type of fuel when they're in maybe zone two, maximum zone three for hours and hours on end, that can often be the cleanest, best fuel source. And it's about then having the right gate open in your body through training over months and months to have that right VLA max, I think, fully primed. Yeah, exactly. Because the when you use the word clean, it's a word that gets used a lot about the aerobic system, so burning fat. With oxygen, that's why it's aerobic, of course, that because it means we are taking oxygen, putting it together with fat, and we're burning it. And that's an oxidative process. So whereas the, the other process, so burning sugar when there's not enough oxygen, that is a fermentation, right? And everyone who knows a little bit about how to make wine and beer and things like that, you know that fermentation happens without oxygen. So it's a process of converting some, it's of basically burning sugar, and then it becomes very acidic, right? That's why we get wine and beer. Mm. And that's what eventually shuts you down because the environment, the chemical environment in the cells becomes um, basically, it, it, it reaches a level where, the muscle fibers cannot function properly. That's kind of a simple way to try and explain it. And yeah. there is so much waste product created in the form of what's called lactate and something called pyruvate, but the lactate is what most people are familiar with, that the aerobic system, which is the only system that can actually take these uh, molecules floating around, these lactate molecules, and these pyruvate, and reuse them, it gets overwhelmed. So it's a bit like, you know, if, if you are hoovering the floor on and I throw Smarties on the floor, that's fine as long as you can hoover up the Smarties as fast as I can throw them in. But if you have a very, very active, what's called anaerobic system or glycolytic system, yeah, then 
it's like me throwing so many smarties on the floor that you can't keep up and eventually they're everywhere yeah. you know and, and then you just kind of stop because the, the work gets impossible or the hoover clogs <laughs> up that could be another sure. way to look at it there's various and, metaphors you, you could attach and, and just to continue the metaphor we need to avoid eating the smarties ready don't we and, and eating the mars bars etc and this is where the fasted running can come in to our benefit if done in a controlled way over the period of time by running a lot of our easy long runs fasted we can decrease our high glycolytic rate we can bring that down so the body isn't depending on that mm, dirty fuel if you like the the carbohydrates that you that you spoke about the smarties and that it's therefore going to the cleaner fatty fuel that can help us just get over the, the course get over the distance a lot cleaner than the carbohydrates that would eventually lead us to just yeah and um, running out of them very quickly i'll give you a good example um of of how this this works from the test result because most people are familiar with vo2 as a value right they know that okay um 70 over 70 is, is very very good and a lot of people are the, the average for a human man i think these days is below 40 um, you're considered fit once you're over 40. Um, but most of the competitive club runners, they would kind of be in between um, 50, 60. And then once you get into the very good club runners, you're over 60. And once you get into elite levels, women and men, it's 70 and way over 90, right? So we know Killian Jarnett has 98. Um, and so did Bjorn Daly, the famous cross-country skier. That's some of the highest VO2s ever measured. Mm. Um, whereas VLA max, so that is a value of um, it's milliliters of oxygen per kilo of body weight. VLA max is measured as millimol, right? So that's just a measurement. So millimoles um, of lactate per liter of blood. So you don't really need to know it as long as you know that there is a value that you attach to that. And that value has to be just like VO2 within a certain range to be beneficial to your race. So the basics of it is if you want to run really well in ultra races and marathon races, that value should be 0.1 maximum kind of 0.2, maybe 0.3. If you're running up to say 800 meter races and that sort of, of distance, you can get away with uh, higher than that you know, maybe as high as 0.7. Okay. In the tests I have done so far over the, the years or over the last two years here with Insight, the, um, the highest value I've recorded for runner is 0.7. Okay. Okay. So that's, that's, we definitely don't want it higher than that because that's, that's near enough to the France sprinters value. Whereas yeah. the vast majority of the people we measured last month, for instance, they were between 0.2 and that was a real, sorry, 0.13. That was the lowest. And that was an older guy. Um, and then we had the highest value um, was 0.4. That okay. means most, most of the people were more or less where we'd want them. Uh, but there is another thing we didn't look at is there's a basic rule. The higher your VO2 is, the higher VLA max you can get away with. So why is that? Well, because your Hoover is bigger. Okay. So if you have a really high VO2, so I'll give you an example of an 800 meter runner we train. When I first started training him, um, he had a VO2 just under 70. And the first time we measured him, we had got that up to 70 and his VLA max was 0.3. Now we then improved him the next year and he started, you know, he, he dropped his 800 meter times quite significantly. He did that by increasing both, right? So he increased his VO2 to 77.7. And he increased his VLA max to 0.44. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. And if we look at where did where did he burn the most fat at what speed and where did he burn the most um, carbs, they all improved with that because that's what happens. The problem for any person, this could have been this guy as well, if we had only increased his VLA max to 0.4, but we had left his VO2 where it was, he would have gotten worse even over 800 meters because he would his body would have become so happy to burn sugar that his system would be overwhelmed by this production of waste products because he hadn't done anything to make sure that his hoover was getting bigger you know so the way you see that in your testing is that the lactate threshold so you a lot of people see that on their watches now your speed at lactate threshold starts to drop when you are making that mistake. Mm, okay. Okay. Does it make sense um, so far, Owen? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. For for the listeners that are listening in, many and say they're planning their ultra and marathon race next summer. What is the ideal preparation for that lead-in, say from January to the summertime? And I know, and I know you, you always have to caveat this by saying everybody is different. But my question would be: if somebody is doing their short distance Leinster League races, maybe in February and March, the typical ones that are maybe anywhere from forty minutes to an hour, an hour um, long. Likewise, if anybody's on the roads before they go into the mountains in the summertime and they're doing five k racing and ten k racing, if they are focusing on that high glycolytic rate at that time of the year is that interfering in a negative way with their ability to to lower their vla max or or should they be avoiding working that high-end glycolytic rate at that time of the season and keep everything nice and steady and just because they're going to be running an ultra and a marathon race where they won't need that short power, that quick bursts of speed, um, not even quick, quick bursts of speed over 100 meters or so, but anything over a couple of kilometers, they're not going to need that part of their system developed. Should they be just taking along nicely, getting the mileage in and avoiding that high glycolytic rate? Yes. So the best way to explain that is to, to explain if you were training for the Leinster League, how you would do it. And mm-hmm. if you're then training for an ultra, but you want to run on marathon, something like that, but you want to do the Lens League as well, because you need two different approaches. Yes. Um, so generally for an endurance runner, everyone does the, the same thing first. First, you lower your VLA max. So that uh, means you want to decrease your lactate production because that would increase your lactate threshold, right? So that means you get faster at all the speeds that matter. Um, how do you do that? Well, thankfully, that's very simple. <laughs> you just train very regularly. That's the first thing. So the more consistent you are with your training, the more it drives down VLA max. That means, for instance, running every day is an effective way of doing it or nearly every day. Okay. Any, any training in zone one and two decreases it. Any fasted training and any, if you went on a low-carb diet, you know, knowing that that's something you have to be a little bit careful with, especially when you're training hard. Um, yeah. That that does that as well, because obviously if the body's like, oh, there is no sugar, it's going to look for a different way. So it won't be as as glycophilic, basically. It won't love sugar as much. Yeah. Um, how quickly this works depends on your body type. So the more muscular you are and the faster sprinter you are and the more you can get, you know gain muscle mass, lift weights, the more fast twitch fibers you have. So that means the more careful you need to be during that period with high intensity training, because you would be much more prone to being stimulated 
because you have more fibers that love sugar. Whereas someone who is, you know, skinny as a rake, they, they, they have a really slow sprint. They're really wiry. They can't really gain muscle mass. They have so much slow twitch that it's actually very hard to um, over for them to trigger that. Right. So if you know your body type, you can be more or less careful, mm. but that's kind of a detail. Then you stay away on the other hand from things that promote VLA max. So that means no aggressive weightlifting, no short hill sprints that have long resting periods between them, and generally not too much massive amount of sprinting. But what does work really well is sub-threshold work as your quality workouts. Because okay. sub-threshold work, so this is kind of what, what you and I know as sweet spot training, Owen, it's kind of the middle of zone three. So it's not yeah. this kind of killer zone three, but it's kind of the lower end where you're still in control, but it, you're not just running and jogging. Um, because when you go in there, you're actually triggering those fast twitch fibers that love the sugar, but you are using them with oxygen and that decreases their ability to produce and consume lactate then. Okay. Okay. So they are basically, so, so that's actually a very traditional base period. If you think about it, you know, it, it's a lot of re regular, easy training with a little bit of steady and no heavy, aggressive um, lifting and no zone four and five training. The little bit of leg speed we've often talked about, you know, six seconds stride out. That's not going to be a problem. Okay. <laughs> Unless yeah. you are super like a CrossFitter or something who's already really ramped up. You might actually have to take it all away for a little while. Yeah, sure. And then I suppose for our athletes, Rene, that are focusing just on the shorter inward races, the Leinster League races, maybe looking to do the trial race for the World Championships next year and the classic uphill or the up and down races that are typically, you know, 35 minutes to an hour. They actually do need to really focus in, I think, on maxing their glycolytic rate and making sure that that door as a fuel source is open and i might just give a, a little anecdote on that Rene, and see what you think of it i remember during the period between 2017 and 19 about two years i was i got to the point where i was doing all my running sessions included fasted and i was as light as i was i was very very strong from an endurance point of view i could easily go out and do 70 minutes every day of the week fasted long runs at the weekend fasted and i got to the point where just because it was convenient and um, i was doing all my sessions fasted and and i was able to do them i got to the point where i was able to do them but then i remember i got to the trial race for the irish team in the world championships and uh, i think it was maybe the, the third or fourth race of the season and i was just beginning to feel a bit fatigued at that stage and um, just the effects of of, you know not fueling properly for sessions but i was trying to just have one more race oh, i'm not feeling the best but i'll try and do one more race and i remember in the first two laps of that race it was like i could not get out of third gear i couldn't get into fourth or fifth gear uh, it was like i couldn't access that energy stores needed and um, for such a fast intense effort going up the first climb of the trial race and it was only on lap three or four that I recovered from maybe seventh or eighth position to get into third spot to make it to make the team, I think. And I couldn't understand why for the first two laps, I just couldn't get going. And I remember I had a chat then with a nutritionist just a week or two afterwards. And he said, Oh, it was probably because you had trained your body so much to, to use fat as your fuel source that in a high intense race effort like that where on the first two laps you are sprinting like the clappers going up a very steep climb 
your body could just not access those glycolytic stores quick enough. It was still going towards the fat fuels and that just will just not give you the, the power needed in a short race like that. And I found that fascinating and that really opened up my eyes to it. And ever since then, yeah, sure, I, I do my fasted runs from easy runs, but any type of hard session or any type of you know race like that, I'll make sure that I'm always fueled up before it. Yes, and there's more to that story, you know, um, which it segues nicely into the next two steps, because basically what you're looking at for that sort of race is what's called metabolic flexibility. That means you need to have all the gears ready to go um, yeah. because you have to, it's not enough to just be super efficient fat machine because you are, as you go into that race, you need to be able to vary your pace a lot and to also just shift up through the gears as you go through. Yeah. But if you haven't really, see, this is where, once you've lowered this VLA max, okay, now you're not producing a lot of lactate, then you increase the VO2 max, right? So that, that obviously happens a little bit anyway, because you're just increasing your training during this phase. But to then really give it the last push to say, I really need to get, a, I need to have a massive engine, I can take in a lot of oxygen, but I don't want to stimulate this lactate production yet. It's too early, because my I'm still in the middle of training. What you do there, this is a new technique, <laughs> essentially, you do training where you do the first one to two minutes of an interval. So you could do this once or twice a week at above your threshold. So this is zone four training. Okay. That will then rise your lactate. Let's say it rises your uh, lactate concentration to eight. That's just a figure there to have. Just know, for instance, a marathon is about two and a half and your 10 mile race would be about four. Okay. That'd be about the concentration. So you're raising a train, yeah. but then, then what you do instead of the normal interval where you just go down and run easy and then up again. So you have these massive jumps. If you do that sort of interval session, you're going to promote VO2, but you're also going to rise the VLA max at the same time. So if you don't want to do that, you basically, after the first one, two minutes of the interval, you go down just below or slightly above your threshold. That means you're actually kind of rocking back to, you know, 10 mile type of intensity. And you then run at that for, let's say, three, four, five minutes, and then you have your recovery interval. What that does is it creates a form of interval training where you, you're, getting, you're getting your cake. You know, you can eat your cake. Um, I forget to, but basically you get the best of both worlds. So you push the VO2, but you don't overstimulate this lactate production. And then only in the very, very last phase before your peak races, do you again increase the VLA max if it was your type of race on? Because mm. now you have this massive VO2. Yeah. And that can handle then that you actually have more ability to produce lactate because now we need to think it is still a source of fuel. That means if we can spit out a little bit more of it, once we really speed up, it gives us more options. Yeah. And that's, that's what creates that feeling of, wow, I have extra gears here. And that even as you speed up, you're like, wow, I'm not getting fatigued. And this is because the aerobic system can follow. So that means in the very last phase, and this only takes four, maybe five weeks, then yeah. it's maxed out. So in, in that way as well, it's silly to do it 12 weeks out. Only takes four. So at that stage, you just do what we told you earlier not to do, you know, such as these types of very aggressive intervals where they're very short and very fast, and there can be quite a long recovery in between. Or you can just go with very race-specific intervals, you know, if your race is high intensity. 
or you can knock in hill sprints and things like that. Uh, of course, all the other stuff works as well. You know, use more carbohydrates in your training, um, dose down the volume of your zone one and two a little bit, you know, not too much. That's a balance as well. Um, but that alone, just four weeks of that, if you have a massive aerobic base and a good VO2, then you should get into that type of high intensity race, you know, that would be your normal hill race with a really good flexibility. The problem is that if you're doing the full Leinster League, it gets tricky because now you have to main, you know, if you peak in four weeks, you then have to maintain that. And generally, as you, the more you do high intensity racing, uh, the, the lactate threshold tends to drop because the races often, unless they are quite long, they work to stimulate VLA max a bit. Yeah. So yeah. we often either need to, you know, take these non-race weeks that we've talked about before and say, well, during the non-race week, I'm going to just stimulate my VO2 and my zone one and two, and I'm going to actually try and just bring the VLA max down a bit. That's especially something you need to do the moment you start to notice that you have to work a little bit harder for the race results than you did at the beginning of the season. And I think if you're experienced, I think you will know, I, I'm quite aware of this myself now that, you know, you can kind of feel once you get halfway through a good series of races um, that it's like, you just have to work a little bit harder to stay up in the field where you were at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. And I suppose, again, all everything that you just said there, Rene, it does just remind us that that we can't be in um, our top shape all year round, that we do need to think, we do need to plan medium to long term, that, you know, we're not going to be as fit um, as we want to be in January or February for our summer racing. And if we are fit, you know, if we are at our peak in January or February, it's going to be very hard to get there again in June and July. So sometimes a little some sacrifices are needed to be made over the course of any training block um, so that you arrive at your A game at your peak, at your peak point of fitness. And I know that can be frustrating because we all want to be good all year round. But as you've explained so well there, that we need to work on different things at different times of the year. Yeah, and you could potentially use your race targets to get a little bit, to, to, to kind of play into that dynamic. Because what I was going to say for the ultra and marathon runners is that you obviously don't want to do step three the way I just described it there. Unless, mm -hmm. you know, if you're a very, very fast marathon, you can actually get away with stimulating the VLA max a little bit in the late phase, because what you would be doing there, you would be doing something called these lactate dynamic sessions, as they're called. Mm -hmm. They are sessions where you run a bit faster, let's say 5K pace. So you're creating a bit of lactate concentration, and then you drop down to your marathon pace. And what happens in a workout like that is you're teaching the body to recycle lactate at your race pace. Mm. And that's a very modern technique for fast and experienced marathoners to get an, an extra gear. But it only works if you've created the situation we described first. You know, that first you have lowered the VLA max, then you've maximized your endurance and your VO2. Then you could put a little bit of that in there. Yeah. Just okay. before. But for an ultra runner, you nearly doesn't, don't need that at all. So you, you would pr pretty much just skip that. Because you don't really want to stimulate that system at all at that stage. Uh, so if you were to do it at any stage, you might do it in your preseason instead. So in some ways, you might take step three and move it in front of step one. So you would increase your VLA max 
So you see, okay, now I, I have as high one as I want for the season. I want to work a bit on my power, my leg speed, these sort of things. Now I'm going to drop it back down again with a long period of consistent running and, and none of that. And then I'm just going to work a bit on my VO2 and then I'm racing. But you could create a race season that plays into that. So if you wanted to race really well in the IMRA races in the summer, you could plan, let's say, a spring marathon or ultra. You know, let's say, for instance, what I'm doing next year is a good example, because if, if you're targeting a 45K race end of April, I need my VLA max to be low and my VO2 to be high going into that race. And then I'm, I'll obviously be taking a bit of a, a break after a break of that distance. Um, but I would still, if I do it right and I don't get injured, I would have quite a good VO2 and endurance when I'm finished with my break. So I could then take that and start just stimulating my VLA max a bit again so that I'm slightly more than tuned to the summer races. So, you know, you could design a season like that to say, well, actually, if I plan overall, I want to be strongest in this aspect. You know, I want to be strongest just in the endurance, the fat burning around April or May. I'm, the races I'm going to target during that period will be very, very long. You know, and then that way your, your season kind of fits and that way you're always doing races that suit the where you kind of have put the focus in terms of your training at that time. Yeah, it, it's a fascinating topic, Rennie, it really is. And we might leave it there for today. We don't uh, um, overload the listeners with too much information in this segment. I'm sure we can develop it again in future episodes. And I mean, if anybody does want to do a bit more research in those terms that we were talking through today, VLA max, VO2, um, max glycolytic rate, do Google and do spend a bit of time to read about them because they're fascinating. And you, I think you'll find that a lot of the professional cycling teams are really all over this and they're doing a lot of an awful lot of testing. Rennie, of course, has been doing some superb testing and um, with his athletes through inside on runningcoach.ie. So do reach out to Rennie if you want to give him a shout on any of this as well. Rennie, I'll just hand the final word over to yourself on this topic. Yeah, you just definitely it was pioneered in cycling um so go to if you want to read about it you can obviously just google vla max um but you can go to insights site they have a lot of great articles you usually need to download them as white papers um but it's inside but i n s c y d so yeah. for those who want to know but otherwise you know just think about it as the two engines right you have a sugar engine and you have this oxygen fat engine and you need to time when you stimulate which one because if you just do lots of 400 meter repeats the whole year round you're always going to be a little bit just kind of mid-cooked yeah 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 okay well listen many um training for eco trail copenhagen starts now good luck mate enjoy your weekend thank you on youtube bye bye For our feature interview this week, this man needs no introduction. He is our greatest male mountain runner since our world champion, John Lennon, and he's just come fifth in the world championships. Zach, Hannah, what an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. I'm so excited to talk to you. Fifth in the world, Zach. Last time we spoke was fifth in the European championships, and you've done it again, but this time at a world championship level. The best result for Ireland since 1991. How are you doing, Zach? How are you feeling? 
Yeah, still, still quite a shock that um, it's happened. To be honest with you, it was kind of went across the line, and I still honestly wasn't sure what position it was because I, during the race itself, I wasn't really focused on who was in front of me or who was behind me. It wasn't until I was told the first that I was fifth that it kind of like whoa, what you know, what just happened here, and like. To see the delight in Leo's face whenever he heard the news too was just unreal. Like he was over the moon. And yeah, it's still I think it could take a while for this one to sink in, but you know, I'm going to enjoy it. You know, to enjoy you have to enjoy moments like these because you never know whenever they're gonna come round again. Uh, absolutely. And just to put it into context, Zach, of some of the scalps that you took yesterday, you, you beat the, the European champion, we mentioned you were fifth in, in Europe back in, in July in La Palma, but you beat the Italian and you beat all the Italians yesterday. You, you beat the gold um, medalist and silver um, in the World Championship a couple of years ago, Cesare Maestri. You beat the multiple and legend of mountain running, the multiple world champion, Joe Gray from the United States. You pipped him by seven seconds. So to beat... All the Italians, um, the French, the English, the only one Spaniard ahead of you. An incredible run, Zach. M- maybe talk us through the race if you can. Did you did you go out with the lead group? Did you come through? What were the conditions like? Because you know you're running in Thailand. I'm sure it must be so hot and humid there. Yeah, well, the the temperature right here at the minute it's roughly about 30, 31 degrees. Extremely hot, and with our race starting at quarter past ten in the morning. That was when the heat was starting to really ramp up, and thankfully beforehand, like we employed all these different cooling strategies. Like Sarah McCormick, she had bought over an ice vest, which worked wonders because whenever I was getting changed for the race before I started my warm up, I was sitting with the vest on, keeping myself cool, and then I had it on just before the start line. And then at the start line, they had buy uh, buckets of ice, so you're able to put ice in yourself, just doing everything you could to keep yourself cool, hydrated, and whatnot. And the race itself started off, you had, I think, maybe a kilometre and a half before it actually hit the, on the trail. Very fast, I think. I think we went through the first K roughly three minutes or so, three minutes. And uh, But it didn't feel fast, which was kind of strange because I thought it would have been a, a lot more a lot more mad. Um, but once we hit the trail, that's when you really felt the pace. Kenyans and the Americans and the Italians were all ganging up around each other trying to like sort of yeah. flex, flex a bit to see who could take it on Kenya took it on and Patrick Kimniego the World Cup winner he got away so he was in a world, a world of his own and I sort of employed the same tactics as I did at the Euros just go out with the leaders and try and stay there for as long as I could and thankfully it paid off um, I think with 5k to go Joe Gray caught me and I had just been distanced by the Swiss runner Joey Hadorn, he had got away from me. So running with Joe was very, very nerve wracking because I knew he was so strong on the uphill, and yeah. I just had to, just had to hold my nerves, hold my nerves together, and just focus on trying not to waste too much energy, making making silly tactical moves, which worked well because in the last 2K I was able to put the tiniest of surges in, but it was enough to distance Joe. And that sort of got the bit flat towards the top, bit of a downhill finish, and managed to hold them off. So, yeah, it's a bit surreal that it happened. And 
the course was so steep in the second half, which isn't what I'm normally used to. Normally, I'm used with it being steep from the word go. Yeah. yeah. So that's just unreal. it's unreal. I think we all love to learn, Zach, how the very best in the world train. And for myself, for the listeners that are listening in, how did you manage, Zach, to peak so well for this race after such a long season? Because you've been racing since the start of the summer in the Valser Mountain Running World Cup, where you were third overall, second over the short course. I mean, that's five months of racing against the best in the world. And you've, you've managed to have your best race of the year after all of those races so how did you manage to get that peak well to be honest it took a lot of whenever i first started really training properly it took a lot of a lot of learning to understand with my coach richard rogers how i operate as a runner um you know it was a lot of trial and error things as is a lot of things in this sport you know you have to try try out new things and maybe go back to old methods to just to really test how to bring out the best in myself at certain times of the year. But the way we would sort of operate in training is that, you know, if you do the right stuff, like it's very, very early in training that I would run at my absolute limit. A lot of my training is all threshold tempo stuff. And it's just basically building as big an endurance base as you possibly can over the winter to allow yourself the opportunity to, go out and perform at your best or near your best at a consistent level. And I think this season, in terms of consistency, has been the best yet. Been able to compete, as you say, in the World Cup over a five-month period with the Europeans thrown in at the start of the season too. Yeah. And then to go and put it off of the World Championships, which even the very, very best runners in the world aren't able to maybe string a season like that together. Like world championships, it's a one-off race. You can be in the shape of your life, but you can still have a bad day. But yeah, I, yeah, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of a lot of preparation goes into a season. It's not just for one race. I like this sort of plan for a season, not just like an individual race, which I think works better for me because I like to have a, a set plan like ahead of me so that I know exactly when I need to peak and when I need to be in shape for certain times of the year. Yeah, and you've done it so well, Zach, because you, you peaked for the fifth in the European Championships at the start of July. And then you've peaked now again, what, five months later and um, four months later at the start of November. So when you say you, you get all your mileage done in the wintertime, are you actually doing sessions in the wintertime, Zach, as well? Or are you just, you know, running in zone one, zone two, mileage, mileage, mileage from October to February, March before you start your sessions? No, I, I've been doing sessions all year round. Um, obviously, in the winter, back here in Ireland, you are doing cross-country. So for the very few cross-country races I do, you're obviously doing sessions. Maybe not at the same uh, maybe not just as high as an intensity because you're not obviously you're not prepared for mountain racing. Um, but generally, my training is the same all year round. I don't really change too much. Uh, maybe getting closer to the, the season, I'll maybe jump onto the track, do a few sessions there just to sharpen up, put some speed in the legs. But most of it's uh, during the winter. I was logging, I think maybe 90 miles a week on average, with well, two okay. sessions a week on a long run. Yeah. It's simple, simple stuff. The very basic stuff to help build your endurance and that's that's just really it and consistency that's probably the biggest thing like i haven't missed a day of running this year or maybe in the last three or four years 
Yeah. So he's a big thing. Sure. And I mean, just to put it into context for the people that are listening, I mean, the first time you ran for Ireland, I think was 2016, I think it was. And you you spoke so well, Zach, in an article a couple of weeks ago in the Irish News um, by Neil Loughran, where you said, everything I did was geared towards running. Every decision I made in my life was based around how it would affect my running. And you've got your reward you've got your award. I mean, you must be so happy and so proud after, after making all those sacrifices for a number of years now. No, hundred percent. Um, like when I started running, it really, the competitive side of it didn't really come into it. Obviously you, you do your, maybe a local 10 K or something, but in terms of racing internationally, it wasn't until I got my first Northern Ireland vest that, uh, the inter-counties where I really thought about it. And then like, I've, I ran on the European scene for two years, working full-time before April 2021. I decided to quit the job full-time and sold my car, basically, yeah, sold most of the stuff I had to try and finance a, a career time. Thank the help of some personal sponsors back home who helped them, um, who helped sort of support the dream nearly. Um, they've been a huge help in getting me here. And it's, it's a team effort, you know, it's not just me. I Yes, obviously I do the running, but you've got your friends, family, your coach, your running club. They all play a big part in helping you because, you know, running, a lot of people think it's an individual sport, but it's very much a team thing in the background. And just when you when you look back and reflect at 76th and 2016, right through till, you know, fifth in Europe and then fifth in the world, it's, yeah, it's a very, very good feeling. It's something I'm very, very proud of. And it just spurs me on to want to go and do more. Wow, it's incredible. And maybe even try and replicate what your hero, John Lennon, John Lennon did in 1991, Zach. Who knows? Zach, for those of us that are probably never going to go to Thailand to run in a world championship, what has the experience been like? Because it's such a unique place to hold the world championship. I think it's fair to say there's been a lot of doubt over the last well, couple of years since it was announced that it was going to be there, that whether it would be able to hold a successful world championship. I've been listening to one of the local Spanish journalists who's based over there on one of the Spanish trail running podcasts for the last two years talking about it and he was never overly enthusiastic about it he said there was a lot of problems on the ground there with the organizing committee and so on but from what i've seen in the last 48 hours it seems to all to be going so so well over there what's it like zach unbelievable the thai people have honestly welcomed every single runner with open arms it's been absolutely fantastic and uh like the organizers like a lot i i think i speak for a lot of runners when we weren't the only people that were skeptical about the championships going ahead based on the last two years. But from we arrived here, the Thai people are so friendly. Um, and a lot of a lot of things that I was told about the place turned out, you know, they weren't exactly true. Like people saying about the food, just in general, how rough the place is. But yes, it does have its rough characteristics, Chiang Mai, but I honestly can't fault it so far. Food's brilliant. Like it's really, really good food. And, it's actually surprised me how good some of the coffee shops are around here. Like the coffee yeah. is probably some of the best I've ever tasted. Yeah. And um, even the opening ceremony, the best I've ever been to since I've been going to World and European Championships because fireworks and everything. And oh, it was just unbelievable. The Parade of Nations was brilliant crack. And uh, 
yeah, it's just good to see it actually going ahead and seeing it being successful. I don't not from from where I'm standing, I haven't seen any uh, problems, but you know, I'm sure there there has been hiccups along the way. But yeah, that Thailand is fantastic, <laughs> and thankfully, I'm here for another two weeks after the championship. Oh, bit of a holiday, so we'll get to explore a bit more of the place. Brilliant. And does a does a small but crack elite Irish team over there? Paddy O'Leary just ran overnight in the long trail course. Sarah McCormick is due to go tomorrow. Um, and then Leo Mahan, I think, is on his final tour as the high performance officer as well. How are all the Irish team doing, Zach? Irish teams are very, very good spirits. Um Leo, I think he's on cloud nine after after yesterday. He sort of hasn't calmed down. He'll be up there in the. I think he's actually back down at the the finish of Paddy's race there now with him. So he'll be. I'm sure he'll be hearing all the stories from the race from Paddy there. Uh, and then Sarah, she's going tomorrow morning. So she's yeah. resting up, and getting getting psyched for it, getting fueled up. So I'm sure she'll be in for a good run tomorrow. So yeah, successful run from Paddy. He'll be. I'm sure he'll be delighted with that. It's a long time to be out, especially in that heat. And yeah. when you. Uh, when you see the quality of athletes in every single race here, it's you no. Know, it just shows you when you're competing with the best of the world. It's it's a real good feeling, and it's where you want to be representing your country. Zach, has yourself and the team have you felt that you've been supported enough by Athletics Ireland? Because it is a small team that was sent over. I'm sure, I don't know. Maybe it was tough to send over a big team like. For example, if you look at the Spanish squad, they must have about, what, 35, 40 athletes going over. We only have three. Um, and, and I noticed you did quote during the week, or you did say on, on Twitter during the week, Athletics Ireland don't even recognise that they have athletes competing in Thailand. It, it's a shambles. But when I saw that post go up, I was thinking, oh, I hope Zach isn't in a bad negative place because he hasn't got the support that he felt that he needed. Now, thankfully, obviously not. It didn't affect your results. But I, I did get the sense from you that you were, you've been disappointed with the support that Athletics Ireland have maybe given yourself anyway uh, over the last year or two. Well, I think it's, it's safe to say like Irish Mountain Rolling in general, like Emra, have been outstanding with support. Like to get three athletes out here is a feat in itself for a lot of nations. Some athletes, some countries don't even have any athletes out here. So you need to be grateful for that too. Like Leo and the, the team in the background have done outstanding for looking after the three of us, getting flights and all organised, accommodation, all just basically they've looked after everything. Leo and the team and has been outstanding. So like it's made things easier for us as athletes. So we just have to come out here and do our bit to get ready to race well, to justify sending a team out. But... That tweet that was put out was just I was I was I was more of a an observation as such because I look at teams like look at the you know, say Spanish, the Italians, uh, Great Britain. You see how the support that they have breeds success nearly because they put the money into the sport and then that because athletes see that their governing body is putting money into a sport and there's opportunities to go and race and that you have that support network behind you. Like Emmer's a small organization. That's which I under totally understand and I'm but in terms of uh like support Athletics Ireland is the governing body for athletics in Ireland and Mountain Running falls under athletics. So 
to just sort of isolate one branch of the sport and focus on funding track and road teams to go away to international championships, it's unfair, in my opinion. Yes, mountain run is not an Olympic sport, but it shouldn't be about that. It should be about getting people into athletics, regardless of whether it's track, field, road, whatever, mountain running. You know, you need to speculate, speculate to accumulate. You look at the money British athletics pump into the mountain running and look at the success. They've got the men's team bronze in the 40K this morning there, women's team bronze, and they had a, a senior women's team silver yesterday in the uphill. You know, that's the type of things you should be looking for. It's not going to happen overnight, the success, but putting a project in place, putting a plan in place to, for long-term development of the sport will only help uh, reap the rewards. And I just hope that the results and other results that will come in the future from other athletes, not just myself, will make Athletics Ireland set up and say, look, we've got potential here in the mountains. You know, yeah. it's all right chasing, chasing times, chasing PBs, but ultimately it's the closer you get to a medal. That's whenever, you know, you need to really think, you know, should we be supporting this? But as I say, I'm not getting my hopes up. I don't ever do that when it comes to anything like this. So I just, you know, I'll take my result. I know I've done the hard work to get here and I'm grateful for what Irish Mountain Run have done for it too. And yeah, I'm not gonna not gonna be uh, expecting anything. So it's just a case of, you know, I've done what I can, so I can't do much more. Yeah, well, we touched on the funding part, I think, in our chat in July, Zach, didn't we? And I know you mentioned there during the week in that Twitter conversation that if you are, say, fifth in the road or the track or cross country um, in the world championships, that would give you access to funding the 25,000 euros. But as we're saying, I don't think that that is in place, that if you're fifth in the mountain running world championships, I don't think you have any right to 25,000 euros with the way that the current structure is set up, even though mountain running comes underneath the World Athletics umbrella now. It's it's an official World Athletics Championship event. So if that funding is there to road track cross country, which are World Athletics Championships events, surely, surely it must now be there for someone who's came fifth in the World Championships. The key word there, Owen, is Olympics. That's the only reason I'm not getting it. Is it? Is that what the requirement is, that they must be Olympic sports rather than world athletics events? Well, from what I gather, when I look at the criteria, it always says, you know, Olympic medal potential or championship medal potential, but the Olympics, the key one there. But yeah, as I say, it's the sort of thing you look at, you think, why aren't I getting that? But, you know, as much as you want to try and get it, it's nearly like, you know, why? It's, it's nearly a waste of time doing it because you know rightly what the response is going to be. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's disappointing. I'm sure it's been discussed and discussed in the past. And I just need to keep doing what I'm doing and let the results speak for themselves. Funding or no funding, it's not going to deter me from doing what I'm doing. And, I just continue to enjoy um, traveling the world and racing in some very beautiful places and uh, enjoying a sport that I love very much. Yeah, and you know, I'm sure athletes are given those funds, Zach, to, to help them achieve great results, to help them achieve medals, to inspire the masses. 
to inspire roadrunners, to inspire um, young kids doing track and cross country. So if that's what one of the aims of giving funding to athletes are, well, then absolutely you should be given that funding as well because you're inspiring hundreds, thousands of mountain and trail runners all around Ireland. And it is such a growing sport in Ireland and it can be even bigger and bigger. So by having somebody like yourself getting the exposure that you deserve and getting the backing you, you deserve will help grow the sport even more. In fact, there was one other point that I wanted to touch on as well, just with the results yesterday. And who came in ahead of you? There, there was two Kenyans in ahead of you. And Zach, I'm going to lay my cards on the table here for, for yourself and for the listeners. Personally, Zach, I think that Kenya as a nation should be actually banned from competing in championship events at the moment because there, there are currently 60 Kenyans banned at the moment because of drug offences, a, a number only beaten by Russia who are banned. We, we saw there recently the winner of the famous mountain running race, Sierra Zanal, Mark Kankoga. He was banned for three years after testing positive for two substances prohibited by WADA. And I thought that Ian O'Reardon a couple of weeks ago, only last week actually, wrote a superb article about why Kenya should be banned. He said, none of them should be welcomed or entertained around here anytime soon. He mentioned them um, seven athletes being banned since the start of October, winners of the Rotterdam, Chicago and Boston Marathon, four runners from the famous Kipchoge sub two hour project. They were banned um, for testing positive. So I must admit, Zach, that what I saw two Kenyans win yesterday and, you know, yeah, absolutely. These guys, they, they haven't done anything wrong. But I was a little bit disappointed to see two Kenyan flags there, given the country's history at the moment. So for, for me, Zach, for you to come fifth with two Kenyans ahead of you, um, Zach, I'm going to say that's a bronze medal for me um, in, in the world. And I know, you know, that's a controversial opinion. But I just wanted to ask you, Zach, do, do you have any opinion on it yourself? And you know, when you see two Kenyans lining up and, and getting on the podium, is there any little frustration there or do you just get on and do your own thing? Well, th those two Kenyans, uh, Patrick and Philmon, I've been racing all season in the World Cup and Philmon, I have actually beat on a few occasions, um, especially in the vert vertical kilometre races. Um, and Patrick, he's just been sensational all season. I think the only race he didn't win this year was shares and all. Um, and he's been absolutely outstanding. Uh, he just came on the scene, I think, this year was his first season of mountain running. And as I say, it's very hard for me to comment on that because I've never actually, like, a lot of people thought that I'd been racing Mark Kingogo before. They actually thought that he was one of the Kenyans in the World Cup. I've never raced him, so it, his bond doesn't affect any of my results. And mm. I do know that Patrick and Philmon have both been tested throughout the year, as have I, and all three of us have tested negative. And I think a negative, as I say, it's a very difficult one. And I've, I've come to actually become very friendly with the two of them. And yeah, okay. The two of them uh, are, live in Austria and they're based in Austria for the summer and then they go back to Kenya in the winter to train. Yeah. And it's a case like it's world at world. It's if it's something bad in the country like world athletics and world anti doping need to take uh, a good look at it and really really think about it because like they banned the Russians for what they had done, and it's a uh, as you say it's a controversial opinion about what to do with Kenya, but as mm -hmm. I said, it's, I'm only an athlete. Um, at the at the end of the day, my opinion isn't going to affect how world athletics or anyone see 
Kenya as a nation on their their current situation for doping. Um, I just hope it does get itself sorted out because it doesn't reflect well on athletics as a whole because it sort of turns into the way cycling was back in the nineties. Yeah, you don't want you don't want that reputation building up and then automatically because a runner gets a good performance straight away oh there's doubt around it because did he do it clean did he or she do it clean so yeah it needs to be needs to be sorted out soon because it's only if you the more you let it go on the worse it'll get and yeah. there'll be a, a lot of athletes will be left very disappointed that maybe missing out on prize money medals titles because of someone who just taking the option of cheating instead of just doing the hard work to win yeah yeah well Zach let, let's bring it back to to a happier um, part of the conversation you, you're there at the world championships for another couple of days I presume we're going to be out on the course tomorrow cheering on Sarah and I think is there a prize giving ceremony maybe tonight for the for the long and short courses I'm sure you'll enjoy getting back down to the to the race headquarters and mixing with all the international athletes for another couple of days Oh, definitely no. But there, there will be closing ceremony for the, the award ceremony. Sorry for the um, long and short trail races tonight. Uh, I'll go down and see some of the like the, the British lads I know and women have all got medals. So it's good to see them doing well. You know, when you're when you're very friendly with them, it's always good to see that the work they've done is rewarded and they're to bring home with medals. And uh, as well, just getting to see all the all the athletes. And then you see who's racing tomorrow and. You're getting their thoughts on the races and how they're feeling. A lot of athletes have actually doubled up, have done the uphill and they're doing the downhill. So it's going to be interesting to see how they fare after already having a hard effort in the legs going into yeah. tomorrow. And yeah, I'll be up on the course cheering Sarah on, no doubt. But anyone who's on Instagram will see that Irish Mountain Running, we've taken it over for the the whole time we're here. Just uh, let those at home know how we're getting on and what goes on inside the Irish team at a World Championship race. So hopefully we'll hopefully we'll get some footage of Sarah racing tomorrow and uh, yeah, keep an eye on that and hopefully she has a good run tomorrow. Uh, she's had a very successful season. Yeah, fantastic. Well, listen, Zach, um, w- one more question before you know you, you get going again, back down to, to the race, start and finish line area. Zach, for, for all everyone who's listening in, myself included, as we're maybe planning our sessions for the next couple of weeks, um, can you tell us, Zach, what's your favourite and maybe most key mountain running session that you do um, so maybe we can all try and replicate it over the next couple of weeks and pretend that we're Zach Hanna on our way to fifth in the world championships is it a, is it a tempo run on the mountain Zach or is it a type of 10 by 2 minutes hard uphill what, what do you think has been one you know a, a key session for you to, to help get you as strong and as good as you have been over the over the summer this might surprise you, but all this year in general, I have done zero mountain running sessions. <laughs> what, really? Like, I haven't done an uphill tempo. I haven't done any specific hill reps. Like, a lot of all my training has been done on the flat. There's a lake beside where I live, Castlewell Lake. It's 4K laps flat. I've just been doing my sessions around it and, and on the track too. So I'll say uh, a favorite session around that would be something like, six or eight by one k off a minute or two minutes something i love a good threshold effort where i'm able to get dial in a rhythm and just lock into that and just knock out the knock out the repetitions at a nice consistent pace where i'm not going into the red i'm just keeping myself um within the limits 
and then on the track it's something simple like say a mile tempo uh eight to two hundred meters and a mile tempo that's a very good session i find to know if i'm in shape or not because you're able to it works in your endurance and it works in your leg speed as well so you're sort of getting two for the price of one there but yeah no no hill specific sessions so i'm sure a lot of people will be surprised at that but you know uh that's just what works for me it's incredible, Zach, what you're saying there, because it sounds like the importance of speed turnover and speed endurance. And maybe you get your, your ability to climb and ascend just by doing the long, easy Sunday runs, maybe on the hills and on the hills. But to be up there with the very best in the world, you need to be fast. And it's incredible to hear you say that. And uh, maybe, yes, yeah, something that we can all learn from for, for doing our, our inward races over the summertime, that it's so important to to keep in touch with your flat speed as well. And of course, you can get so strong and so fit by doing those type of 1K interval sessions. Yeah, definitely. But it also works for me well as where I live is a hilly area. I live in, on the side of a mountain, so all my easy runs done on rolling hills. So like that plays a factor too. You know, I still do, I do run plenty of hills, just not at uh, an effort where it's going to hurt or it's going to like, using top into my my energy levels. Uh, it's a case of just go out, run easy in the hills, get your strength work in there, time on feet, and just be consistent. That's really it's a simple sport. Keep it keep your training simple and you'll not go far wrong. A simple sport, but not everybody has the same dedication and commitment, Zach, who's able to set the the bar so high like yourself and to dream big and then go and execute it as well. So, Zach, thanks a million for, for making the time. I know it wasn't easy to try and get the connection today for the chat. And I said, you're only just after finishing fifth in the world. And uh, I'm sure there's lots of exciting things going on over there. So thanks a million for joining us. And do say hello to, to the rest of the Irish team. And, and just a shout out to Leo as well, because I think this is Leo's last championship as high performance officer. And Leo Mahan has been the high performance officer for about nearly 10 years now, Zach, I think, isn't it? And he is a tremendous guy and he's been tremendous the support to all the athletes and he's always done everything that he can over the last 10 years so make sure to to give uh, leo a, a heads up for us as well and a, and a big shout out no well do certainly well i'll tell everyone you're asking about them and tell leo especially so thanks for the chat and uh hopefully sarah has a good run tomorrow to finish off with, like a good a good time in thailand yeah, Zach, congratulations on fifth in the world, the best Irish result since 1991. Zach, we're all very, very proud of you. Thanks a million for joining us. Here, Joel, thank you. That's a wrap for this week, everybody. What a superb role model Zach is, both on and off the mountains. I mentioned the Irish News article in the interview with Zach there, and do make sure to look it up if you can, as it's had an amazing positive response, as Zach is from Northern Ireland, from an Orange Order background, a Rangers fan. So when he chose to run for Irish mountain running teams, which Irish mountain running teams, which represent both the North and the South, he actually got a lot of criticism, to put it mildly, from some parts. And the fact that he overcame all of that has played his own part in bringing communities together. And he has spoken so well and so forthright about it all is a great testament to Zach as a person. 
and as an athlete of course we can see that from the results that he's getting now year after year great consistency there and um, so he's doing so much for mountain and trail running in Ireland as I said both on and off the mountains well done again Zach and indeed well done to Imre for being able to send a small but elite team over to Thailand well done to Leo Mahan and all the guys there that have been able to put that team in place and hopefully for next summer in the world championships in Europe in Austria we'll have a bigger and even stronger again team before we go guys thanks to Rennie from Running Coach Ireland for his superb slot today and a quick reminder to pop over to patreon.com to support the show if you like what we do to help keep us going at Trail Running Ireland podcast have a great few days of training everybody and until next time let's get our running gear on let's go Let's go